Fight Podcast, talking all things NFL. Now here's your hosts, Woot and Why. Hey everyone, welcome to the Woot and Why show. If you haven't heard, we're running a couple of fantasy leagues this preseason. We'll paid, paid, paid leagues this preseason. You uh, will get paid. If you no, if, if you, you win if you win, um, yeah, interest is quite high. Yeah. So if you if you uh, we're we're wrapping it up this weekend. So I, I mean, yep, we're gonna have to filter through all the all the responses and you know entries that we've gotten. You you can do that via any social media channel. I mean, Snapchat would be a bit hard. We get like three seconds or whatever to watch it. But or LinkedIn or <laughs> LinkedIn. Don't Do exist. you get? I always I got birthday messages via my LinkedIn really? last week. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're always weird. But anyway, always weird. Anyway, so you know, get amongst that. Uh, email, Facebook, Wooten White Gmail. Slide in, slide in DMs, DMs, anything. Uh, yeah, we have just a, tweet us directly. We have a pinned tweet uh, on our page. Uh, if you give that a like, um, then our guy Craig will reach out to you about the leagues. But essentially, we're making four or five leagues. There'll be a mix of standard PPR, half point PPR. Or 12-man leagues, standard four point, leagues. Four-point yeah. PPR. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no auctions, all, all drafts. We don't have time for auctions. They just take so, 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 so long. So uh, please uh, reach out to us in regards to that. Yes. But speaking of fantasy. Yes. Matt Waldman. Matt Waldman. The GOAT. The GOAT? We've got a couple of GOATs on today. Um, you'll, you'll hear our other episode with Chris Harris. But this episode, we talk to Matt Waldman. He is just a legend. Love this guy. He is. Um, best, probably the best laugh in fantasy. Wow, fantasy. that's you know that should be his uh, in his Twitter bio. Yes. Best laugh in fantasy. Fantasy, I like yep. that. So uh, please check out his work at mattwaldwinrsp.com. The rookie scouting portfolio. Um, if you're in dynasty leagues, it's a it's a must have resource. Uh, even in uh, redraft leagues, you can know if some of your starters are in doubt because of these highly rated rookies. So Matt Waldman provides information aplenty. And so here's our interview with Matt Walden. Joining us on the line is one of our f- personal favorites on the show, and that is Matt Walden. He's from the uh, Rookie Scouting Portfolio. He's the creator of that. He's also a writer at Football Guys, and you can uh, purchase the RS- RSP, and I recommend it, at mattwaldmanrsp.com, and you can follow Matt on Twitter, at Matt Waldman. And welcome back to the Wooten Wire Show, Matt. It's good to have you back on. Oh, it's always great to be on the show. It's great to, to revisit with you guys. So I'm looking forward to talking about some fantasy football. Yeah, and let's let's get straight into it. And we'll start with, with your RSP, and I, I loved it. Um, Woot loved it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got to start with the big four rookie running backs and their fits. What's your thought on thoughts on these guys in, in redraft leagues this year? Like, who are you taking first? Who excites you the most? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because it's kind of, changed throughout the summer I think at first I was thinking well you know Christian McCaffrey was kind of at the top of my list and I think he's still there because I see him as a Brian Westbrook type of player the former Philadelphia Eagle who you know is a dual threat and when you looked at what he did um, in the preseason thus far and in training camp it's very clear that he's he's quicker than most defenders in in the open field and he's going to make a lot of yardage on one-on-one in the open field and they're going to find ways to get him the ball there um 
But he also showed the things that were easy to project when he watched him at Stanford is that he can run between the tackles in the variety of blocking schemes that Carolina uses. There's very similar, there are a lot of similarities with both offensive schemes. So I think he's going to acclimate very fast. And while people are worried about Jonathan Stewart, Jonathan Stewart only had eight touches in the passing game last year. And I don't think that, you know, even when you look at Stewart's workload i think there's plenty of room for mccaffrey both as a runner and a receiver to be a very safe strong threat then when you look at a guy like leonard fournette he's a guy who's kind of gone up and down for me because long term i had him as my number one prospect of the running backs and this is a very tight group so i wouldn't argue against anybody for whatever choice i had out of probably the top four but fournette put Mm -hmm. him in the right system you know, and the the right system is really one that runs a lot of power and power or gap plays. And gap plays are where you pull the guard or pull a tackle or pull a center and you say, and you're basically declaring to the defense, we're running behind this pulling player and that's the position we're going to head to. And it's a, it's very much about will and effort and physicality. And, you know, Leonard Fournette is kind of like a, a big cement truck without brakes that, you know, runs down, you know, that that's just basically coming down a hill through a toll booth. And as long as you say this is where the toll booth is going to be, you're going to take this toll booth on the, the second one to the right in the plaza, and you're going to head through that. And it doesn't matter if there's a cement barrier in the way, he's going to bust through it because he's heading downhill and it's, you know, it's perfect. But if you ask him to run more gap, I mean, zone-oriented schemes where it's, you get as close to as possible to the line of scrimmage, and then you make your decision with a cutback or a bounce outside, and it's a change of direction, kind of like what we see Devonta Freeman do, where he can create even when people penetrate into the backfield and still get you four to seven yards, even on a play where a lot of backs would have lost three to six yards. Fournette's not that kind of guy because that big old cement truck, you don't want him barreling down the hill, you know, at, you know, at a at a high rate of speed and then someone say you know just a few meters away from the first you know um first whole plaza to say take a hard left right here he'll just wipe out and wipe out the entire plaza rather than get through it <laughs> so so you know i was worried about fournette and his fit but it looks like the line is conforming to what he does best he's obviously shown that you know, even that first preseason game against the Patriots, he ran so physically strong, oh, which is what has always like been a bullet hallmark. Train. Yeah, so I think you're going to see him fare well. And I always thought he was a much better receiver than he was given credit for because, you know, a lot of people look at numbers when they scout players, and that's fine. That's a good layer of information. But if you rely too much on them and you don't look at the quality of receptions as opposed to the number of receptions, you're weighing the numbers more than he wasn't a good receiver. But if you look at the types of receptions he made, over-the-shoulder catches, intermediate catches, catches in tight coverage, and you even go back to his high school tape where he did a lot of this, you'd know that he was a good receiver. And Jets observe, or Jaguars observers were saying that he was a much better receiver. So I think he's, he's still my number two guy, but he's got a little bit of a boom-bust element. Mixon, Joe Mixon, to me, has probably got the most upside of all the running backs of the top four. Um, but his offensive line might be the worst right now. If they, if, they show, if they show that they can recover from losing Whitworth and Zeitler on the offensive line, 
then he might have the best upside, even though Jeremy Hill's listed as the starter. Mixon is a special talent who can, who is, might be, he's one of the best receivers um, out of the backfield of the backs. He's got great quickness. He's, he's, he's also very powerful. He's the complete package. Um, and then Cook, you know, Cook to me probably has the highest floor of, of Fournette, Mixon, and Cook himself. He's probably got the highest floor of those three. But he also has probably the lowest ceiling just because I don't think that he has the um, – his offensive line is going to be better, but it, it, it's not going to be great. And, you know, I, I think that this team, he'll, he'll be helpful, but I, he's not a guy that I would take as early maybe as the other guys um, as far as Mixon and McCaffrey are concerned. Yep. Cool. You give me a lot to think about. I have the number one pick in a dynasty draft that I'm in with Y here, and uh, yeah, I I still haven't made up my mind. But you've given me a lot to think about because <laughs> you're pretty loaded. At, you're pretty loaded at wide receiver, right? So you need a running yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. So I'm in a tough position. You can't. Yeah, you can't lose with any of those four. To be honest with you, you're actually in a great position because if if those are the four you're trying to choose from, then you know, I mean, it's kind of like me having to choose the carrot choose of what what snack from the care package you guys sent me a couple of years ago that I'm going to have that afternoon. I mean, it was an abundance of riches, so it's the same kind of thing. Oh, I, uh, I actually just traded for Christian McCaffrey in an R, uh, in a dynasty league as well. I uh, I thought I'm going to sell high on Le'Veon Bell, uh, and so I traded for uh, McCaffrey... JJ Nelson and Ty Hilton uh, for Le'Veon Bell in a in a dynasty trade because I just I, I really love Christian McCaffrey I think uh, I think his long term upside's just tremendous. Well, you're you, you you know some people might say wow that's a you know that's a questionable deal. Some people may love it. I like it because yeah. you know you talk <laughs> some of the scouts some of the scouts that I spoke with you know who who I, I talk with on a regular basis who look at the, a lot of the RSP boiler room videos I do on backs mentioned that, you know, McCaffrey to them was what a lot of people thought Reggie Bush would turn out to be, but didn't turn mm-hmm. out to be. Um, and if that happens, then you're looking at a terrific player. And I will to say, I mean, I, I compared him to Brian Westbrook. Westbrook didn't particularly like that comparison that he heard going around from a variety of sources didn't agree with it. Um, but in role, I think, but I think in role, there, there are similarities of what will likely happen. And if you ask me, if he turns out to produce like Westbrook did, um, Westbrook has had a more productive career thus far than, than Le'Veon Bell at, you know, and Bell has probably a couple more years to show whether he can, put up the same production that Westbrook has, you know, had at the peak of his career. Yep. So, and you get T.Y. Hilton out of that? Yep. Sure. Absolutely. Why not? Yeah. I needed wide receivers. I needed youth. So I just, uh, yeah, I just bit the bullet and just did it. So, yeah, <laughs> all good. Um, well Matt, done. from reading the portfolio, we know you're a big fan of uh, Chad Kelly. And you even compared him to Tom Cruise. Uh, so given the lack, <laughs> given the lackluster uh, quarterback competition in Denver, how early could we see Chad Kelly play snaps for the Broncos? Yeah, that's a great question, and I compared him to Tom Cruise, probably not in the most favorable way. So <laughs> those, those of you who are Nicole Kidman fans will probably <laughs> enjoy that um, very much. But it's just more of I compared him to the kind of the old the Tom Cruise movies of my 
my early child, my late childhood, basically, because it's very much a Hollywood script where you have this legendary, you know, you have this um, young player who's, who's, um, elder is a is a legend in his field and he's chasing the ghost of that legend and he's talented but he's immature and now he's getting basically his last chance at the hands of a legend who knew his you know who knew his elder and and was his peer and that's kind of what you're getting with john elway giving him a last chance here i think the thing is is that with kelly i would be very surprised if he played this year and the reason being is that he had an ACL tear that he had to work back from. He also had wrist surgery that he had while throwing in his pro day that he's just working back from. And on top of that, what's more um, concerning than those two injuries was a hernia operation that he had prior to his senior year where he never fully got healthy. Mm-hmm. And Chad, the thing about Chad Kelly that people don't realize is they think of him as as a pocket quarterback, and he very much is. But one of the great assets about him that is kind of hidden from those who don't study tape is that he is an incredibly good athlete. He was a dual-threat quarterback when he came to Clemson as a freshman, and he would have been the starter. He was heading down that territory. We might not know who Deshaun Watson was on the level we do now if Chad Kelly stayed at Clemson. That's how good he was. And when you watch him, even against the likes of SEC teams um, run, there's tape of him against Georgia where he runs for about a 50-yard touchdown and beats a good angle from a cornerback on the same side of the field coming after him and a safety who was ahead of him and just sprints right past them, right up the seam. Um, and that was last year um, when he wasn't even fully healthy. So, you know, they – for them, from what I heard from people who I trust, who look at the medicals at the combine, they said that if Chad Kelly gets a full year to rehab and rework his body, get it in peak condition, make sure that he can rebuild muscle tone, flexibility, have a year of not taking punishment, and he comes in, none of the injuries that he sustained should be a problem, and he can play the full range of his game and and take some punishment while he's learning the ropes of the NFL and and really make strides and become the player that a lot of people think he has the ability to become. There we go. Interesting. Uh, Jamal Williams, uh, he's been quietly getting more and more hype uh, throughout the preseason. Uh, you said in the RSP uh, that he's you know the most technically sound and effective pass protector in this class, and that's been a big negative of... Uh, Ty Montgomery's game. How do you see that that situation unfolding, and where are you taking Jamal Williams in in, in drafts? Yeah, I mean, for me right now, the the thing with Ty Montgomery is is that if you can't, he was completely lost last year as a pass protector, and it's understandable. He was a, a slot receiver who had traits of a running back, and I actually said in the RSP when he was drafted. He was my last-ranked wide receiver in, in the profiles that I did. He was, like, in the, the low 40s, and I said he'd actually be a better fit as a running back. But the thing is, is that getting your first shot at running back to play that position full-time is in the NFL for the Green Bay Packers 
with a bad offensive line around you and you've never pass protected in the NFL, so you don't have great experience with all the different checks and different changes of assignments at the line of scrimmage and all the different little things you have to remember and execute, plus dealing with NFL defenders who are much more technically sound and better athletes, that's a recipe for disaster for a running back convert. You wouldn't ask a you know, you wouldn't ask a wide receiver convert to beat press coverage right off the bat their yep. first year and expect them to do it well. So it's the same thing with him. And this year he's still struggling with that. And he's also making some mistakes. He's fumbled the ball in a preseason game. And that's a, you know, that's not a thing you want to see a, a starter do who's still trying to prove themselves. Yep. So when you look at all that, I think that there's a better chance for Jamal Williams to earn significant playing time and maybe even take the starting job from Ty Montgomery within the first six weeks of the season than what I would have said even three months ago. And a lot of that is because Edgar Bennett said, the running back coach, that the pass protection that Jamal Williams has exhibited um, is a big reason why he's getting opportunities on the field. And that's an interesting thing because, you know, I've seen there's some peers of mine in the fantasy football industry who who do a lot of stats work and talk about how Williams' execution rate was something around 65%, and that was the lowest among their their list of running back prospects as yep. pass blockers. But one of the problematic things about you know statistics sometimes when you're grading players is you're you may be grading success rate according to a criteria where it's solely about did they did they block the man successfully and keep him away from pressuring the quarterback as opposed to looking at all the fundamental skills that are projectable to what you're looking for at the NFL. And, you know, maybe he missed the block in terms of not being able to sustain it, but the technique was there or heading in a direction where it could be shored up fairly easily and that he would, he would improve once he got to the NFL level and address it. And it looks like that's exactly what's going on with him. Hmm. Sweet. (laughs) I'm buying the hot. You're buying the hot? Yep. Um, Kenny Golladay. Um, a.k.a. Babytron, has been lighting it up in camp and the preseason thus far. Uh, you were quite low on him compared with others. Should we buy the hype or should we tread carefully? Well, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I saw, I certainly saw the two touchdown catches he had in the preseason and he made, some, he made one really nice play and another one where it looked like the corner was a little out of his depth. Um, but, you know, he did what he was supposed to do and he was comfortable in physical play and he was comfortable on a bigger stage. So those are all positives. And he certainly, you can see the size and physicality that's there in his game that why people are excited about him. He's tracking the ball well. So with all of that in mind, I would say that, you know, if the Lions like him, the Lions have been raving about him steadily all preseason and in, and he's starting to make plays in the preseason that you should probably pay more attention to him than what my rating says. Now, with that in mind, you know, me personally, am I, I would still say be cautious with him because he didn't, he's still not playing the top corners in the league yet. Um, he's the, the, the important part of playing wide receiver is not just can you catch the ball, can you make athletic plays, but it's also about, you know, think, and this will be a quick example to give you an idea of the complexity of wide receiver position. You know, maybe you're the ex-receiver single single out to the right side and you have a cornerback playing outside shade seven yards off with a safety who's playing 11 yards off inside shade. 
but then pre-snap, you know, maybe a, a half second before the safety's rotating what looked like cover three, that looks like something else. And you're not, and you have to decide whether you're playing facing zone from the safety or facing man from the safety, especially if you start to see the cornerback slide up a little bit to the inside because it looks like he's going to blitz. And you need to make sure that you're running the right route because are you going to have to run the right, you know, are you supposed to adjust your route based on what the safety does or now the linebacker sliding over to the outside? And this all happened in the span of about a second and a half. And you need to be on the same page with your quarterback. This is where wide receivers and young quarterbacks tend to not be ready for the NFL (laughs) because they have to process all that information and run the correct route based on everything that they saw and that they saw the same things the quarterback did. Otherwise, the quarterback throws the ball, the receiver's not there, the safety picks it off and returns it for a touchdown instead of it being a completed slant for a seven-yard game. There we go. Damn. (laughs) Bowman went deep, and I love it. I love that. I love that. I love that. We don't get that from anyone else. I look forward to this interview all the time. Um, one of your most recent successes in the RSP when it comes to you know, deep finds or deep dives is Spencer Ware. Uh, is there any similar <laughs> vibes or feels with the player this year? You know, that's a great question. Um, you know, guys that I really like, I like D.D. Westbrook. He's a player that I've always been somewhat um, very strong about his skills, and he's showing up a little bit well in camp. He reminds me of T.Y. Hilton. Mm-hmm. Um, now the opportunity may it may take him some time to get there, but that's one. Obviously, Chad Kelly's another one that you would certainly look that way and say it's a deep one. Um, other receivers that I would or a tight end that I think could be that two guys, Eric Saubert of Atlanta, who is not going to get the job ahead of um, Austin Hooper unless yeah. Austin Hooper suffers a really difficult injury, and you know in the next year or two, and then. Sauber with his terrific speed and and pass catching ability gets on the field and, and ends up being a better athlete and reliable enough that Hooper ends up being the second tier guy. But those are guys. Bucky Hodges out of who's with Minnesota. He's not doing much right now, um, but he's having to learn how to play in line as a tight end. He's never he blocked like maybe. He had like basically somewhere less than ten opportunities to actually block in line during a a um, a college career. But in terms of catching the football um, and winning the ball in the air and making what I call big boy catches, the ones where they say we know you're covered, but we're going to let you go up and win it, and then do it on the outside or on slants or against press coverage or in the red zone. He did that better than any tight end in this extremely rich class. He was, to me, he was by far the best of the lot. And I like a lot of the tight ends in this group. Um, so if he either develops as a, as a blocker and as good enough to block that they can then use him as an every down weapon, yep. or he gets cut and another team picks him up and says, you know, we could use him as a slot receiver like Jimmy Graham and we don't really care about his blocking. He could be a real fine for a team. Right. <laughs> after uh, after my dynasty trade, I've got a few roster spots left, so I'll, uh, I can pick up some uh, D.D. Westbrook shares and some uh, Bucky Hodges shares. <laughs> there you go. Long term. Yeah, long term. That's all right. Long-term. I'm patient. Long term. Yeah, I'm good. Um, <laughs> all right, keeping, keeping with Spencer Ware and talking about a bit more about normal fantasy now, some running backs that we're having trouble with um, evalu- evaluating given their situation in ADP, Spencer Ware and CJ Anderson. 
Josh and I, uh, yeah. <laughs> just don't know how we approach yeah. these guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question because really, you know, the both of them are in situations where if you look at the, the emerging talents behind them, that it seems like that they're the guys on the decline and there are other guys on the rise. So whoever has the highest ADP value is probably the guy that's going to be the least valuable for you to take. Um, but you, but then you have to consider some of the situations at hand and, and see whether or not that's the case. And when we examine a little closer, Spencer Ware is a fine pass receiver. He's a fine pass protector. Um, he takes care of the ball reasonably well. Um, and he was one of the best in yards after the catch last year. And before his concussion, he was actually, you know, performing at a really terrific rate. Um, and then after that, he wasn't quite the same. So, you know, Kareem Hunt certainly is a threat, but I would say that Kareem Hunt's going to have to demonstrate that he can make all those same adjustments that I just described with a receiver, doing that as a blocker. And that, and I think that where it took him a couple of years to do that doesn't mean that Hunt may not be more advanced and do it, do it well, but I didn't think that he showed unbelievable acumen as a blocker that I would expect that type of progression you know, transitioning right now. So I think I'd still give Ware the opportunity, and I think Ware will also be given the opportunity in the red zone more often um, than than Hunt. So it, to me, he's the safer play, whereas you have Jamal Charles, who may not have anything left um, to really be an every-down threat, but they're going to try and use him in space. Um, the, the two quarterbacks that they have right now, they may – have more talent in certain ways than Alex Smith, but they're not as consistent. So you have, you know, more issues with the red zone and who's going to get in there. D'Angelo Henderson's played really well. Yeah. Anderson's more of a zone runner. Denver's going to a gap scheme and Devontae Booker is actually a better as he wasn't, he didn't play in a lot of gap scheme, but his style of running is much more hit the crease really hard. And, and a gap scheme would allow him to do that. Um, more effectively towards what his style is. So there's a much cloudier picture, if you ask me, in Denver, whereas Spencer Ware may be a little higher in his ADP, but I think that it will stay solid, and, and the Kareem Hunt, Hunt info may hurt him next year, but I don't yep. think it's going to hurt him as much this year. Uh, two running, uh, A running back that you probably may take over both those guys, um, from what I can tell from... Uh, your rankings is Doug Martin. Uh, I see he's, I think you're running back 11. Uh, all chips in on Doug Martin this year? Absolutely. And I know it scares a lot of people, but I like risk. And there are certain <laughs> players that I think are worth the risk yes. because they can change the outcome of your league. And Doug Martin, the, the two years that he played at least 15 games, he was, a top, he was the third-ranked running back in fantasy football. It was his first year in the league, and I believe his third year in the league yep. um, where that happened. This, you know, all the all the information with him is explainable. It's not like he's Josh Gordon, who you know, who can't seem to to stay away from marijuana, or a you know, someone who has some sort of off-field criminal issues and a and a real deep psychological problem that is causing them to hurt themselves and others. Yep. He's not that. He basically, he was hurt year two. Their offensive line was horrible. Year four, he ended up in a situation where he was using Adderall, and I think Adderall was, that was an issue, but it was something that, some of it, some of that was performance-related. 
Yep. And we could talk into the whole hypocrisy of the NFL and performance-related <laughs> substances. Um, but he was, you know, he's he was probably part of that on some level. But you know, he understands that he he they signed him to an extension before last year, and so basically this team's like, look, we know you are a massive talent. You screwed up. You seem to admit that. Know it. We're letting you know now that if you screw up one more time, even the smallest way, we're done with you. Like yep. we, we don't care whether we will eat the money and hate every bit of it, but you, you're on your last chance. And he's been in great shape. Jameis Winston said he is the guy when Jack, when Jaquiz Rogers is finished filling in for him after those first three games, it will be Martin's job. Yeah. And the fact that everyone's been raving about him steadily since spring and Dirk Cutter was the original guy in year three who after Martin was hurt and didn't look all that good, and everybody was like, oh, he's just a one-year wonder. Dirk Cutter, after he left Atlanta, he, and they took him as offensive coordinator, they wanted to – they picked Charles Sims in the draft, but he was the one that told Lovey Smith, I want you to keep Doug Martin. Doug Martin that. is the better back. Doug Martin's our guy. And and they were, like, all unsure about it. And then the first week of training camp, after all of OTAs and spring training, Lovey Smith quietly says, Doug Martin's the starter. We're done. <laughs> yep. And that was the year that Doug Martin was number three back again. Yep. And so this, this has a similar tone to it. I'm all in on Doug Martin. Yeah, I'm not buying the Rogers talk at all. Um, you know, it's, I, they're just trying to, I think they're just saying that for the sake of saying that. Yeah, you've, right. you've yeah. just – you've uh... – yeah, I don't know. You've I, I was quite low on Martin, but now, <laughs> yeah, I've always if I go zero no, running if I go zero running back, Doug Martin's my target. Like yeah, he yeah. is my target. Yeah, he's yep. my target yeah. now. And to me, it's like <laughs> yeah, I, I, he me too. I mean, third round, third fourth round, sure, I'll take him around there. I, I mean, some of my friends, you know, one of my colleagues, Jason Wood, who is one of the better um, fantasy analysts at projecting stats around. You know, he's a terrific. Terrific fantasy player, and but Wood is Wood is definitely a more conservative-minded um, fantasy owner and analyst. So yeah. you know, to him, he thinks you know he thinks this is ridiculous, <laughs> and you know his counterpoint is you know how can you even trust the guy with his track record? You know, and I get that. You know, if you play the odds, yeah. and you've got to be very severe about which players you're really going to buck the trend on. And why would you do that with a guy who's you're going to take somewhere between rounds three and five, as opposed to somebody you're going to take between rounds eight and twelve? Hmm. And so if you're if you're that kind of that kind of risk adverse player, and that's okay, you're not going to come near Doug Martin. But me, eh, I mean, I've won enough. I want to I want to try to win big. So that's that's the guy I want to go after. Yeah. We need to get. Uh... Matt Warman down to the Star City Casino. Um, very risk averse, wants <laughs> oh, to win I'm, big. No, 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 no. When it, when it comes to when it comes to like my mortgage payment, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Fair I'm, enough. I'm that? Very yeah. risk averse. <laughs> yeah. So fa- <laughs> fantasies when you uh, you get the wild side. That fa- fantasy and fantasy and things that don't have to do with money. Yeah, yeah. I'm good to go. All right. With that. Yeah. Noted. Sure. Um, <laughs> who who are the most you know, accurately and inaccurately ranked players, say, outside of round one by the fantasy football community? Well, I'm going to say another favorite of mine that my buddy would would be like the opposite commentator on is 
one Marvin Jones of the Detroit Lions. Um, <laughs> everyone, I think Marvin Jones is the is this year's once bitten, twice shy player. Sorry, we're, um, we're laughing because it's it's this Marvin Jones is literally next on our list to mention to you. <laughs> that's funny. It wouldn't well, be an interview with point. Matt Waldman if we didn't ask you about Marvin Jones. <laughs> that's right. You know, I mean, I have some favorites, and certainly, you know, it's kind of funny that Martin was one of them too, but. Uh, but yeah, Marvin Jones, you look at his situation and everyone's, it's the same thing. It's, everyone had high expectations for him coming over from Cincinnati. He's finally going to be the, the primary threat for Matt Stafford. He's dominant for four games or I think first four to five and then kaput after that. Mm-hmm. Well, people didn't think, people for some reason haven't weighed heavy enough. Two things. One, he was hurt after the Green Bay game and was never quite the same and played through injury. Second, he didn't fully understand the offense year one, which is common because just as I described to you with the example of rookie wide receivers having to read all those different things, well, when you're having to read all those different things as a veteran playing with a new quarterback, you're not going to be on on the same page with all of those things. Just ask, oh, I don't know, Brandon Lloyd, Chad Johnson, and a list of other receivers who's tried to play with Tom Brady – you know, Brandon Cooks before Warren, then you know, even said they're still working on it. It's going to take a year for them to get to where they're really comfortable. So throw Marvin Jones into that, who was dominant after four games. And then not only was he hurt, but teams changed up on how they played him, including double covering him. So you're going to take a, a new player and have him work on how to make adjustments against double coverage with a quarterback he hasn't played with before. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of buying the idea that. Um, this year, he's much better off. He's worked with Randy Moss, who Randy Moss, um, despite all the different things people say positive and negative about him, um, he was, Bill Belichick stated that he was probably the smartest receiver and one of the smartest players he's ever worked with. And Randy, Randy Moss um, worked with Marvin Jones this offseason, and all offseason, all I've been hearing in Lions camp is that he's been the main beneficiary of targets in the red zone. Um, so I think you're going to see a bounce back here for Marvin Jones as long as he stays healthy, and he'll wind up being a top 15 wide receiver. And that's where I've got him in around that range. I think everybody else has him outside their top 70 players at this point. Wow. I, I love it. Um, I, I love I, it, but I also hate being in fantasy leagues with you because now we have all the same information. I know. We, uh, <laughs> we, we snipe each other constantly, and we end up shooting ourselves in the foot, um, and someone else will normally be in could, the league. But then... You can always say, well, you know, which one of you, the, whoever lost, is because whoever listened to Matt the most. Yep. You know, so. <laughs> I, uh, I like taking players like Marvin Jones where they've been banged up or, or have let fantasy owners down the year before because I know fantasy owners are reluctant to take them a year later and I always find you can get value on players like Marvin Jones, like Keenan Allen, players like that. So yeah. uh, I, I think that's a it's a good good way to, to approach your draft, especially later in rounds. Uh, one of the things that we, we love about you, Matt, is that you stick to your guns, and that means that you may zag while everyone zigs. So this year you've got your wide receiver two and your tight end two, a little bit different to the consensus in that you have Jordy Nelson and Jimmy Graham as opposed to Odell Beckham and Travis Kelsey. Can you explain how you came to those conclusions um, and is there much difference in that, or do you, you normally adhere to sort of tier-based rankings? Right. And I think that 
you know, one of it is, is that I, I think Jimmy Graham, to me, he was coming back from injury. He wasn't fully healthy. He was playing with a team that the offensive line was a complete shambles. They had a left tackle who never even played that position all throughout college. He was a basketball player, and he was now his first starting assignment at left tackle was in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, that was horrific. And then you had Russell Wilson, who played hurt basically for most of the season on a on a high ankle sprain and a knee injury, and then eventually a pec injury. And, he, you know, he wasn't the same. He couldn't create and move around the way that he used to. Um, Doug, you know, Paul Johnson, Paul Richardson, excuse me, was um, just getting running back in the form after injury. Tyler Lockett was still never quite there. Um, this team... You know, this team really never got hit on all cylinders offensively at all. It struggled mightily. And Jimmy Graham wasn't fully healthy and still put up the second-best total of fantasy points for tight ends last year. And he wasn't even that much of a red zone threat. So when I look at it from that standpoint, better offensive line. They've upgraded a couple of spots. A couple of the guys have more experience. Russell Wilson's healthy. They've got healthier wide receivers that are going to spread the field a little bit better. Jimmy Graham's healthier. It seems safe to me that, and he also probably has the highest floor among the tight ends because he's actually been a tough player who hasn't been banged up too much, like unlike Rob Gronkowski. So I think he may not have Rob Gronkowski's ceiling, but he has a higher floor. Yep. So I like him as the number two. Then you look at, you know, Jordy Nelson, I think that Odell Green Beckham obviously is one of the great wide receivers in football, but it's it's one of those situations where you look at it and and Odell Odell Beckham Jr. has basically um, carried that team on offense in the passing game. And this year they got help with Brandon Marshall, who I don't think is done. They got help with Evan Ingram, who will be moved around and be played more like a big slot receiver than the inline tight end. Yep. You still have a yes. Sterling Shepard making the, the second-year lead, and that just means that targets are going to spread around a little bit more. I mean, Beckham's still going to be a top-five option, and if you take him number one overall, I'm not going to argue with you, but Jordy Nelson, to me, was coming back from a knee injury, playing with Aaron Rodgers, and he's always been a top-five to top-ten wide receiver when he's fully healthy and this team hasn't been in the shambles. It's, it's there. We know Aaron Rodgers can support at least three fantasy options in the passing game. Whereas Eli Manning, we know he, it's possible he could support three to five, which is, you know, would be amazing. But his downside is also so bad that it's it, compared to Rogers, then I would rather go with the safer team. And the safer team to me is the Green Bay passing game. Yep. And, you know, Nelson in his own right, are we going to really like, are we really going to split hairs about who's better? I mean, that's the fun part. We could have a fun all-night conversation talking about <laughs> better, uh, you know, with Odell Beckham and Jordy Nelson. But I know a lot of people sleep on Nelson in that regard. But I guarantee you that if we, you know, I won't go too far into this, but I've always maintained that if you, if we have biases, we have inherent biases about players, yep. and some of them are unfortunate, but they're just the way it is. If we put full body suits on these players and you couldn't see anything about them other than their number um, and you didn't see their name and all you saw was just whatever the body suit color was and they were out there practicing, I guarantee you that 
half the reporters would probably grade Jordy Nelson above some really excellent guys who are often seen as better players than him. Um, and I think that that's, you know, and Jordy Nelson is a lot like Michael Urban. He's very physical. He can win downfield. He's faster than Urban. And he has the best quarterback in the game, if you ask me. And I'm a huge Drew Brees fan. So, you know, how do you do it? <laughs> yeah. No, I, <clears throat> I, when I look at, you know, Odell and, and Julio losing Kyle Shanahan and Mike Evans getting Deshaun Jackson, I, I can see now that it, it's not that, not that big of a deal to have Jordy Nelson. You know what you know what Aaron yeah. Rodgers is going to be. You know he's going to feed the ball to Nelson. I think the floor is high. Yeah. yeah. Yep. The consistency factor also. I mean, I study consistency. I offer consistency ratings. What what I look at there is I study over whatever period of time that we you want to grade, whether it's a, a season or two seasons or three. I I determine a baseline level of points for certain tiers. Are they in a wide receiver one tier in the 12 team? They mean the first through 12 wide receivers. Wide receiver two, the 13 through 24. Wide receiver three, 25th through 36. And then if there's, you know, you only start three wide receivers and anything below wide receiver 36 average fantasy points in, in, in that given period of time is subpar. Anything that's the top two level of fantasy points in any given week is elite tier. Well, you know, that's what I study. And when you look at Jordy Nelson's consistency, there were only two players in the league who were far and above more consistently high producers than anyone else. The first one was David Johnson, and the second one was Jordy Nelson. And there was a there's a gap between Nelson between Johnson and Nelson, and there's a gap between Nelson and everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, uh, every year I, I try to find, you know, the, the next breakout tight end. And so two, two years ago I was, I, I hit on Eifert and I was, I was proud of it, even though I didn't get to draft him and it was, you everyone know, sniped you. It's the best. Sniped me. I was, I was very upset. <laughs> um, last year I put my chips on Eric Ebron and that didn't quite go to plan. Um, Matt, I need your help to find who my guy is this year. I, I think I think I'm leaning towards Jack Doyle, but I I, I don't know. Okay, I'm going to give you one, and it will go against the, it will friendly go against the friendly advice of a guy who edits the RST with me by the name of Steve Volk, who is a big Hunter Henry fan, and I let him write an article saying that he decided to choose Henry over my recommendation of the guy I'm going to recommend to you because he just saw something in Henry that made him feel like I was overthinking it. So he's like talking trash with me all summer long, telling me how that in the next year or two, he's going to be able to come back and say he made a better decision than me about the tight end choice in, in this draft. But the player that I'm, I'm vouching for, and I like Henry, but the player I'm vouching for is Austin Hooper with Atlanta. Yes. Um, Austin Hooper was my number one tight end in the, in the class. Um, and he is not the athlete that Eric Ebron is. He doesn't, you know, but he is very, he's quick, he's fluid. He, one of the hallmarks of his game is winning the ball in tight coverage. You can see some of that with highlights from the Super Bowl last year. Um, you can see a lot of it at Stanford. To me, he was the best Stanford tight end. And if you look at Stanford tight ends, they haven't been very good. But he was far and away to me one of the best, um, Stanford tight ends that have come out since 
you know, Zach Ertz and Kobe Fleener and Malik Toilolo. This guy actually, he can create after the catch. He's not extremely fast, but he's quick, he's athletic, he's a good blocker. And he missed part of practices last year because the NCAA has a regulation about the, the academic system that they're, that Stanford plays with uses that didn't allow Hooper to really practice much early on, so he was behind in his transition. Um, this year, he's he's been working very hard. The team has commented on how much of a work ethic he has, how he stays after practice and works with one of the linebackers he's dealing with on a, on a you know, a daily basis working against, and they work together to make each other better. He's always in the film room. He's mentoring the rookie Eric Saubert in the film room on a regular basis. And he, he and Matt Ryan spent time together in the offseason, and Ryan just was lauded Cooper's work ethic, and they expect him to be a big part of his passing game. And I think he's going to be a top-ten tight end this year. There it is. There it is. <laughs> you, you in? You in, Root? Uh, all in, all in. Push the chips in. Yep. All right. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> that that NCAA rule. Our guy uh, Solomon Thomas, who we claim is Australian because he lived here for like four years. Yeah. Once, um He he came out very str- strongly against that a um, couple of weeks ago, talking to a pro uh, pro football talk. So it seems like a, just a stupid regulation. Uh, but you know what's yeah. it's the NCAA and the NFL we're talking about here. So it doesn't surprise yeah. anyone at all. No, not at all, not at all. But, you know, the thing is, too, when you to add to Hooper, I mean, we'll just say this. If you look at Atlanta, Matt Ryan was a top-five fantasy quarterback and last year, and he only supported one top-36 fantasy pass catcher last year. Wow. One. That, for it to be a top-five fantasy quarterback, you usually need to support two or three, maybe even four. You know, he supported one, Julio Jones. That was it. Mohamed Sanu, big free agent, he didn't do an awful lot. He was helpful, but he, he wasn't a fantasy. He wasn't fantasy helpful. Taylor Gabriel came on and was fantasy helpful for huge stretch, for a, a short stretch with some huge games, but he wasn't consistent yet. Yep. And and Jacob Tammy was hurt on and off, and Hooper was still learning the offense. So, you know, this year... I think Hooper's gonna could wind up being the second most productive fantasy pass catcher on that team. Yeah, and they use him a lot down the stretch, especially in the playoffs. So uh, I I think that's mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's wise. I, I mean, uh, okay. So to finish off uh, our interview, we normally ask all our guests some rapid fire questions. Um, so I'll start us off. Uh, who's a who's a late round okay. pick or a sleeper that Matt Waldman finds himself owning a lot of shares in? You know, one of the answers to this guy, too, Paul Richardson, Seattle Seahawks. Um, you know, high-flying um, receiver, very good acrobatics, great after the catch, finally healthy, well, shoulder injury again after a diving catch. But I think he'll be all right. And he was he turned out to be the number two receiver heading into this preseason game, being out Jermaine Curse. I think he'll wind up being the top three rotation. Nice. Um, similar question, a late-round quarterback. Oh, boy. I would say it's probably going to be, if we're going to say, are we going to say late, like as in like 20 rounds, like the end of the 20-round draft type of start, or are you talking more like after round 10? I'll, yeah, let's Both. go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Wise, wise being greedy. He wants everything. <laughs> okay. So the, the after round 10 one, let's say, you know, Sam Bradford might be a fun 
fun dart because very accurate, deep passer, um, better offensive line now, full year to know the system. All his wide receivers are healthy, better, uh, you know. So that'll, that's the one there. And then late, late, I'd say Deshaun Kaiser because I think the Browns defense is still going to be bad, and he's going to get on the field and have a lot of garbage time opportunities to throw for yards. He can run after, he can run well. He stands in the pocket and maneuvers extremely well, and he's he's got a, a, a fine deep ball and fine arm to create. So you've got a creative player in a situation that's going to allow him to create a lot more often in situations where the team is just like here, just we're going to let you drive down the field and waste time. Yep. And he's going to get a lot of yards that way. Cool. Uh, if you're on the you know the back end of the snake draft and a lot of defenses have been taken, uh, what's a what's a defense sort of outside the elite top five that you you think might be worth you know investing in? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, one one what are some of the teams that I'm thinking about here at this stage? Atlanta may improve, um, so I would say that they may be one because their cornerbacks are starting to come into their own. I think they have a better defensive front that's going to allow them to collapse the pocket more. The linebackers should improve enough that you know they won't be as horrible as they were early on in the season. So I think Atlanta wouldn't be a bad choice. All right. Cool. Um, a player that Matt Waldman will not own in 2017. <laughs> uh, oh, let's see. <laughs> Who, who's a player I will not own in 2017? Um, okay, I'll give one, and reluctantly so. But um, And I know there's others. I know there are definitely others, but this one comes to mind. The fact that Andrew Luck is still throwing a tennis ball right now tells me that um, I don't really want to test him trying to, to throw football this year. He may be ready by the end of the month, but his offensive line hasn't gotten that much better. Um, and I just think that this guy's basically a couple of good solid hits away from going the route of Derek of David Carr um, if, if things don't really work out. You know, for my hope, it doesn't happen that way. That's another one. And then I would say. I'll add another one. I probably Ben Roethlisberger, as surprising as that may sound, yep. just because I've joked around in, in our overvalued, undervalued scenarios that, and Cam Newton for sure too, because I don't know how Cam if Cam's not going to be allowed to run, and or he doesn't want to run, so he doesn't want to get hurt, and that offensive line still isn't good, and he still doesn't have a receiver who can defeat press coverage. Um, I don't know how he's going to have those big-time numbers, even if he has the talent to do so. And Ben Roethlisberger, his penchant for getting injured, to me, drafting him is like, you know, asking, letting your grandfather answer emails and decide to click on that one that says, we have an Irish inheritance waiting for you. <laughs> Just click this link and, and give us your social security, your, your, your identification, and your bank account routing number. You know, and I just feel like Ben Roethlisberger is going to be great for like five weeks. Then he's and you're going to be like, oh, this is just fantastic, and and you went all in on him, and then you miss three weeks. Then he misses like three weeks and isn't quite the same for another three, and you're limping into the playoffs. I just I, I just can't do it. Perfect. All right, I think that's that's everything. It's always a pleasure, Matt. It's always one of our favorite interviews. Oh, yep. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it, fellas. It's always fun, and uh, thank you so much. Yeah, and uh, before we let you go, uh, I just want to remind everyone that they can purchase the RSP at mattwaldmanrsp.com, and you can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Waldman. And uh, I also uh, 
you know, uh, promote football guys, I think it's a good website. Um, the subscription there is really, really helpful. Uh, you know, we, we don't win leagues without uh, investing in, in, in the best of the best, and that's where the football guys staff uh, are. And uh, Matt Waldman, it's always a pleasure, and we look forward to uh, catching up with you uh, later on in the year and uh, enjoy the season. Yeah, I can't wait. You guys, good luck to everybody, and uh, don't take too many of my guys now because I don't want to hear about. I want to hear about the the, the big collapse. But good luck to everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Bye, Matt. Thank you. Take care. Perfect. Man, love that guy. Best laugh in fantasy. Yeah, that's even better than this. <laughs> even better than LeBron's laugh. Actually, LeBron's last on that great. Nice. So, yeah, big thanks to Matt Waldman for, for joining us. And as we said in the interview in the top of the show, please check out his work. Matt Waldman, RSP.com. It's a small price to pay for the insane amount of hours this guy spends watching uh, tape and studying film. And his, his boiler room stuff on YouTube is all free, and it's all, it's all amazing. You hear that? Wow. Wow, wow, Did wow. I start <laughs> Did I start off the season? Oh, and I just hit the mic with my hand. Oh, you got too excited yeah. about that. That God was damn. the worst. Because it wasn't me. It wasn't that me. That was such a it slur as well. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. He's, the, the portfolio has really made me look into Dynasty far more. Yeah. It's just I'm playing, Dynasty, Dynasty, whatever. Yeah, we're playing a lot more of it now. Um, it's, it's more fun, more commitment. And speaking of that, uh, we are... Now running one this year. I I was reluctant. Now you're involved. We've got a few people emailing us. Um, yeah, what, the there's a lot of interest for the the dynasty league. So I mentioned the guy reached out to me, and I forgot who it was last week. He emailed me and says, "I'll only join the Wooten Wide Dynasty League if there's a Jeff Fisher of the league, and I want to be the Jeff Fisher of this league. I want <laughs> I want immunity from being sacked, no ha- no matter how I actually am. I thought that was really great." So wow. he's a contender at the moment. Obviously, our buddy in Alaska, Chris, is or a, is a walk in because you know he sent us beer. Yeah. Like, um, and then we had a guy offer to create custom memes and images for us. He's in. Another guy doing it in our tax. He's in. <laughs> and the original uh, uh, Owen, who suggested the league, he's also in. So spots are filling fast. We're, yeah. we're already at seven. There's five spots left. Email us wootenwhygmail dot com. As to why you should be in our league, in our dynasty league, um, and I mean, I know, I know all the uh, standard um, kind of just you know just there's there's a lot of just standard kind of comments that we're getting, but yeah. uh, you know, really, I, I want extravagant stories. Separate yourself. I want hand puppets made. Hand puppets. I don't know. I saw this movie. Mate, I watched guys, for, if you make one, hand I watched puppet, Forgetting Sarah Marshall now. the other day again, and you know how he has the Dracula puppets and things. Oh, that, that's cool. I'm into puppets now again. <laughs> what I a movie! Know. I don't know. What a You're movie! A weird All right, uh, that's pretty much wraps up the show. I am a weird person. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at jynfl. Follow me at this is Woot. And you can follow the show at uh, at Wooten Y. I was to use your old Twitter handle. And you can like us on Facebook, The Wooten Y Show, and listen on iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher, and wherever good podcasts can be found. <laughs> <laughs>